up with verse 13. It says, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Okay, so you can close your Bible, so they'll spend the rest of the time right there. You're like, ah, oh, so close. Immediately realize that you already failed that the second it says something like, be kind. You're like, ah, oh, so close, right? <laughs> that was me last week. And so, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done like a construction project at your house. Well, I know Justin has, but I mean, you, you start doing something over here in the bedroom, and before you know it, it's linked to the kitchen, and you're ripping something out of there, and you're like, oh, shoot, I need to go outside near the septic tank. And you're, before you know it, you're down about four acres away in somebody else's yard digging because <laughs> it's all related. And the frustration mounts. Well, my frustration was mounting due to my vast experience. So some of you guys know we have this campground. We have a van group that comes out every single year. They're like the Sturgis people of vans. And I mean, like, just picture Fog Hat playing in the background, slow ride, and you got the paint stripes, and I mean, like $40,000 into each of these vans. I'm not joking. They're, they're really tricked out. They're cool. They come every year to our campground. They take every spot, every cabin. I know you don't care, but I'm just telling you, I've got to build the story. So they take it all. Well, somebody had given us a fifth-wheel trailer a few years ago after a tornado at 8,000 feet, different sermon. <clears throat> after this tornado, they gave us a fifth wheel. Well, that's awesome and all, except for I don't have a means to pull a fifth wheel because I don't have a fifth wheel hitch. Um, I have a truck. So I bought a fifth wheel hitch finally because I used to hire this guy every year to move my trailer about 100 yards away. I'm not joking. I pay him 75 bucks a pop each way. So this year, or whenever it was, I bought a fifth wheel hitch for 75 bucks. I don't know why that's this guy's. It's from the same guy. <laughs> He's got, I think he does this on purpose. He's got a corner on the market. So I buy this hitch. I go to install it, so I think, using YouTube videos and find out, oh, it requires rails. I didn't know that part. Right, So the rails get mounted into the bed of the truck, and the fifth wheel hitch goes on the rails. And some of you are like, well, duh. Well, I'm sorry. I'm a travel trailer kind of guy. I've towed before. I've never done that. So I get on Amazon, of course, and I buy rails. Guess how much they were? $75. I'm not joking because they had free shipping. 75 bucks. So I'm in this thing, 150 bucks. And I'm like, okay, I got to get this thing installed. I, it's, it's driving me nuts. And so, but again, things had to back up and they were trailing. And I'm like, oh, man, I got all this garbage in the back of the truck and sewer hoses and all this campground stuff. So I'm getting more irritated and I got to chuck all this stuff. And I go and I toss it everywhere and Heidi's helping me. And then I'm, I go to put these rails in. And I'm like, I need hardware. <laughs> I don't have bolts to hold this thing down. Had to drive to Ace Hardware. I get these bolts, another $25. So now I'm in it, whatever. I don't want to do the math. I have math people over here that can figure that out. So I'm finally in this thing, 100 and whatever it is. And I go to install it, and believe it or not, it went in like it was supposed to. It all squared up. I think it was had the right center of gravity and all this other stuff. The hitch went on. I couldn't flip and believe it. And we're ready to rock and roll. And then I go to move this trailer 100 yards, and I see that my tire is like semi-flat again for the 15th time. So I got to back up again. So I go and I get one of those little spray cans full of foam because that's, I'm, I don't know if you guys know this about me. I am the guy who, when I needed an oil change, would just buy a new car. That's how I used to do it. 
if the tire was low, I'm like, I'm out. I'm getting a new car. And so, but owning a campground fixed all that. So I'm cured now. Um, now I'm like, put some Bubblicious on there. I can fix that flat right now, right? So I got this spray can, and I went to go spray this foam inside the tire, and most of it ended up on me and on my hands and all over the tire and the side of my truck, and it just was going on and on and on. And while Heidi's reading the contents, like, don't get it anywhere near you. You'll get cancer. You'll grow an extra head. You'll just, all this stuff, and I'm just, and then it, the self-control went away at that moment. And did you ever see that movie, A Christmas Story, where the kids, and they kind of give you a rendition of that, that was me in total holiness, spewing out everything. I just want you guys to know what you're getting while I'm standing up here. I, I, I lost it for just a moment, and then I had to apologize to Heidi and everybody else in the neighborhood, I think. Don't get me started on my neighbors. They don't need an apology. So... Um, I lost it. So I go to prepare this sermon, of course. This was about two or three days ago. Think clearly and exercise self-control. So I had to stop and just pray and go, Lord, I'm failing already. So I know I'll start with my own sin. How about that? And we'll just do the confession up front and go from there. So here we are. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. I don't know about you, but we are supposed to be looking forward to the return of Christ. You're not supposed to be looking at the foam on your hands and the fact that your fifth wheel hitch won't go in properly or your bank account or anything else. We're supposed to be looking forward to that and keeping our minds on things above, not on the things below. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Real easy to do when it's on paper, isn't it? Real easy. Focus on what's matter. Look, what matters. Let's control our thoughts. You know, usually I have a crack in here about Highway 24 when I talk about self-control. So I put another one in here. So um, as you look at this photo here of Kermit on Highway 24, it says it all. Right at that Wendy's light, you're like, <laughs> see you at impact. All right. Colossians 3, 2 says to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Again, it's a verse that is very easy to read over and go, wow, yeah, I need to do that. And then Monday hits and you forget everything. Forget everything that you were just listening to in church, right? But I don't want to just listen to it. I want to hear it and I want to respond because that's where the rubber meets the road. Going on. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Basically, you're supposed to know better now. And what about the slipping back part? Have you ever noticed, or maybe it's just me, I don't necessarily slip back. In my life, anyway, it feels like the whack-a-mole game or something rears its ugly head and I conquer that thing and then something pops up over here that I was not planning on and that I had not been working on and then I start tapping on that and then something else over here it's usually not the same thing it's usually something different somebody comes up with a new way of sinning against me that I had not thought of <laughs> and it's always their fault right it's never it's never me it's them but that's what happens but don't slip back into your old ways so if you have conquered something, the whole point is to keep that thing conquered 
and work on this new mole. Don't go back to doing things the way you used to do it. You saw how that panned out, right? Don't do it that way. You know it doesn't work. We were talking in uh, class this morning, which, by the way, the, the instructor for this Bible class in the morning is phenomenal. But hopefully you caught on. All right, so we were talking in class this morning about that very thing, about just conquering things and being obedient to the very basic things and how tough that that can sometimes be. You know, are you thinking about the heavenly things or are you thinking about the earthly things? And it's real easy to do, real easy to think about it on paper. Well, you know, we were always talking about love your neighbor and this and that. In my case, my neighbors really are the most difficult people to love by far, the, the actual neighbors right there. One of these days they're going to be sitting in here and I'm going to be like, oh, not you, the, the other neighbor. It's, 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 it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> but just as he called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I don't know if you guys realize that, but I switched versions on you. It was the New Living Testament. I had been using the NLT, but the verses that I have memorized, I go NIV because that's the version that Jesus used. So if you ever see the NIV up there while I'm preaching, you'll know why, right? But how about being holy in all you do? Have you ever thought of being holy at work? Holy. It's easy to be holy on Sunday. Everybody's holy on Sunday, at least for 10 minutes, unless you say something in the lobby, right? But the second you leave here, we always talk about that. What about Monday? What about in traffic? What about in the bank line? What about when you're changing the tire or putting the hitch in? What about all these other places? Are you holy? I have been accused of a lot of things in my life. Holiness has never been one of them. And I, I don't even mean that as a joke. Like I mean it in the sense that I know people who are godly. I know people who are humble. I know people who are kind. How many people do you know that you would actually qualify as holy? I don't know. I don't know any, but I, I probably do. We're probably holier than we think we are. That sounds like something I've heard before. Holier than now, <laughs> because of the blood of Christ, we're all holy in that sense. Thankfully, right? But I don't know anybody who I would. I just don't. I guess that's not a term that I use. I don't use holiness. I think of things like um, if I'm going to pray for something, Lord, help this neighbor because they don't have a clue, right? I pray like that. Lord, help my bank account. You have the cattle on a thousand hills. I just need one or two. I just need you to fill this thing. I, you know, prayers like that. Am I alone? Do you guys pray like that too, or is it just me? Because I, I pray those things, but I would love to see it. Honestly, I want to actually see your hand. When's the last time that you have personally prayed to be holy? I've got zero. I got one. One in a row right here. Two. Same family, doesn't count, one flesh. No, I'm just kidding. So, two people. I have prayed it before. I don't pray it often, but I have prayed it before. I've, uh, every year I'll go through the scriptures and I will find something that Lord keys in on, like blameless. I'm like, all right, Lord, blameless. What the heck does that mean? And so I'll look it up and I'll be like, Lord, my focus this year is blameless. One year I did have the focus of holiness. I'm not even gonna ask my wife how I did. But... That was the goal that year, was to be holy. 
I want to be known as holy. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, I was talking about when Elijah would come to visit and the, um, the couple there, she, the woman would say, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. So it can be done. You can be recognized for your holiness if you're in fact holy. Um, I obviously have a long way to go. Here's what I think of when I think of holiness. I think of this kind of a picture and this kind of a person. That's what I think of. And that usually only occurs at church. Like, you, what we should do is have that picture posted up and down Highway 24 as we're driving. Get your mind straight, right? But in reality, provided our clip works, this is what, what we look like at work for real sometimes. I love this guy who stands up. <laughs> He's not done. I think he kicks it right there. That is awesome. I don't know what was on the sound bite, but we took the sound off on purpose just in case he was like me and we didn't want any part of that. So sometimes that's how we respond at work. And then we say, all right, see you at church. <laughs> right? Don't say that. But if you do that, just say, all right, I'll see you at community. I'm just kidding. All right. Here's what it might look like once the kids go off to school. Here's your holiness. I think that's a genuine photo because those kids are dressed up and ready to go, and some are laughing. So I'm thinking that was a real deal right there. Well, let's continue. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Has this ever occurred to you that the Lord has no favorites? He does not favor Daniel or Moses or Noah more than you or I. You know he loves us exactly the same? Exactly the same. Have you ever thought about that? I didn't either until I was doing the sermon. I had never really thought about it. He has no favorites. We are treated 100% equally before the Lord. And that's a good thing because there are some examples of Scripture where that didn't happen. Look at this photo here of these two kids. Um, you know that that would cause absolute angst in your family if you did that, right? In the Old Testament, they did that. And Joseph is a prime example. His father favored Joseph made him a coat of all these colors, and everybody else was like, and it flat out says that Joseph was the favorite. And a couple times in there, it talks about some couples in there where Abraham might have a favorite, and Sarah would have a favorite, or vice versa. Isaac and Rebecca, same thing. How did that pan out every time you showed favorite, they showed favorites in their family? It didn't pan out. They ended up killing each other for the throne, or doing this, or doing that, or in Joseph's case, they just sold him into slavery real quick. Right? That was kind of a, a neat repercussion. So favoritism is not a good thing. And thankfully, our Heavenly Father does not do that. And so the point is, if we're supposed to be imitators of God, we should not show favoritism either. Not in our own families, but not even amongst everybody out here. We should be treating everybody with holiness and godliness and kindness, regardless of what comes back our direction. Amen? Verse 17, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. Have you ever heard that phrase of judge the sinner, not the sin? That is not biblical, and what a crock, okay? Because our sins are tied to us. 
You get your, your rewards in heaven based on what you do or don't do. They are definitely tied to. Now, that doesn't mean to point your bony finger and just judge everything that everybody's doing all day, every day. But it's saying that they are definitely tied. I can't just say, oh, well, the guy, he was just a rapist and a child molester. Other than that, he's a good guy, right? It is tied to you every time. And God rewards us that way. And in the case where if you don't know him at all, he punishes you because of that. So that judgment, that judgment that he's talking about right here is the final judgment. But we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to get into heaven, but for him to go, hey, these 10 million things that you spent your time doing, okay, all of that burned up. None of that matters. Oh, wait, these 25 things right here, those mattered. That's what you're getting your reward for. We're going to talk about that more here in just a minute. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. First part of that is talking about the reverent fear. I think sometimes we are irreverent. Sometimes we are too much, right? So, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, but in the Old Testament, every time the Lord appeared or an angel appeared or something of any kind of um, godly entity appeared, they would fall flat on their face, usually unable to talk. Hebrews 10.31 says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, that's talking about an enemy of the Lord. But even us, we don't want to go down that road of, oh, hey, let me talk to the man upstairs. That is a little irreverent to me. Or, hey, we'll see what the big guy thinks. Or, hey, and I get that we're just kind of talking smack to our friends. But if you're talking about the Lord God Almighty, creator of the universe, you may not want to use the term big guy, if you understand what I'm saying. So we want to be reverent. There is a time and a place for falling on our faces, unable to even look to the heavens. Job did that. Wouldn't even lift his head. It just depends, right? And then there's other times where you see where God called um, Abraham his friend. All right, he's your friend. We're on his same team. But that doesn't mean I'm like, yo, God, right? I don't want to take it to that level. So let's get to a place where we show proper reverence for the Lord God Almighty because he deserves it. As far as the foreigners in the land, do you guys know that you are the illegal immigrants here? Everybody sitting in this room, you're the illegal, right? If there's anybody who needs a wall, it's us. It's going to be huge, right? Wall, right? We are the illegals. We don't belong here. That's why the stickers say not of this world because we're supposed to be passing through. But if you're focused on the trailer hitch, you're of this world, right? You have your own trailer hitches, right? You may not have that one. In fact, I'll sell you one for $85. But we are the aliens here. We are the foreigners in the land. We've been talking for a week already or so about aliens and how we don't belong. We forget that day to day. We forget that we don't belong here. No wonder things are jacked up. And we keep waiting for things to get better. We keep thinking, oh, if we could just elect this person, if we could just have that happen, and if my taxes could just go down. Do you know that we are in a state of decay since the time that the world began and is going to continue to decay, the scripture says. It never says, oh, at some moment it's going to go ta-da and get better. No, we are spiraling like this until the end, just so you know. Everybody encouraged? All right, let's pack it up. All right, there's more. 
For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. I'll stop right there. Do you know that your life that you are getting from your ancestors, i.e. your parents most likely, is empty? They gave you nothing. No spiritual input, no teaching, no money, right? May have paid for college, maybe. Sometimes we do well. Most of the times we don't because we're sinners and we squander all that we have during our lifetime, right? That just happens. It's because that's who we really are on the inside. But what I'm saying is he has ransomed us from that to save us from this empty life. And by the way, if you're a parent and your kids are still at home, you still have a chance. Even if they're gone, you still have a chance to offer them something of value, first and foremost in your own life, so that you can be the grandparents and the parents you're supposed to be, right, and pass on to them to the baton. They always say that all great races, the relay type, are lost during the baton pass. We lose that because we don't have anything of value to hand on or we drop the ball. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. I don't know about you guys, but I think of Mel Gibson when I think of ransom. I think of the movie Ransom. I just do. I can't see that word now without thinking about that. So when you think of the word ransom, what is it that is being ransomed? You know, that's really somebody who takes something from you and then extorts you in order to have you pay them money and give it back to you, right? So kidnapping your children or whatever it might be. So if the Lord is ransoming us, what was taken? Probably us, right? And who did the taking? Probably Satan. So it says that in the scriptures that he has taken us captive to do his will without us even knowing it. Or he blinds the minds of unbelievers. So Satan for sure has done some of that capturing. But I believe, this is just my own personal thoughts, that Jesus didn't just go to the cross for our forgiveness. He went to save us from ourselves. So in a lot of ways, God is ransoming us from us, if that makes sense. That we have taken ourselves captives by the stupid things that we do. And so we're going off way over here. And he's the one who initially created us to begin with. And so he has to buy us back. And so he used the precious blood of Jesus to do that. That's why it says not with gold and silver, but with his precious blood. So it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Have you ever thought of this? It's hard for me to wrap my arms around it. When I think of eternity and I'm looking forward... I can wrap my arms around that a little bit. When I think about eternity past, that's harder to do. How was it that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit were just... Was his name Jesus? What, it says you are to name him Jesus when he was born, but what was his name prior to that? <laughs> you don't know, do you? Because <laughs> I don't either. I don't know. But what were they doing five million years ago before the world began? You know as much about it as I do now. Right? I don't know. But one of their conversations may have been this. Hey, you're going to go to the earth and you're going to ransom these people back that have not yet been created. Right? And they're having that conversation. It says God chose him before the world ever began to do that. That's hard for me to put my arms around. But that was God and his foreknowledge and destiny and everything else he was talking about in his semi-Calvinism, semi-not sermon the other day. I don't know how God figures that all out, but he did before the world began. 
but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. So we're not guessing. At the time, even the disciples didn't know. They're like, are you really the one? And he's like, why don't you go tell John the Baptist this? Right? So they didn't even know for sure. You know, Satan didn't know or he wouldn't have allowed it to happen. If he had known that the Son of God was going to come back off the cross three days later, he probably would not have put him up there. Right? Because he was going to conquer death. Well, then I'll keep him from dying. I guarantee you Satan didn't know. You know he had that oh shoot moment. Uh, okay, I didn't see that coming. Right? But Jesus did. Because he knew he was chosen millennia before. So he's revealed him to us in these last days. So I, keep, I can't read that without thinking. I think of Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. And he's like, dear Lord, baby, infant Jesus. Dear eight pounds, six ounce Jesus. You remember that little scene? And the whole family's like, you're crazy. <laughs> right? He's not a baby. He's like, if I want to pray to the baby Jesus, I'm going to pray to the baby Jesus. I like picturing Jesus as a baby. I don't know about you, but I don't want to picture Jesus as a baby. I want to picture Jesus as a grown man because he grew up and he has a plan for us, right? He grew up into a man and he had a purpose. By the way, not only does he have a plan for your life, do you know that we have the meaning of life? I know you thought it was Monty Python. We know the meaning of life. 99% of it is written down in black and white right now. I've had people ask me, I just don't know what God wants with my life. I'm like, he put it on paper. All right, it was papyrus, close enough. He put it on paper, though. He has told you exactly what he wants with your life. He might not have said, hey, I want you to be a chiropractor, and I want you to go to Mission Aviation Fellowship and this and that. But he says, I want you to exercise judgment and mercy and compassion and this and that. And it's that thick. And, and three-fourths of it is the Old Testament. So enjoy Leviticus. God wrote that for a reason. He did not just write numbers for kicks and giggles. There's some numbers in there he wants you to take a look at, right? It's his word from Genesis to maps, all of it. So we're supposed to be in there digging out and figuring out what it is he wants with our life. And by the way, the meaning of life is for us to give ours away to him, amen? That's the meaning of life. See, if Monty Python had called me, I could have made their movie much shorter, but they did not. Continuing on. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. The reason I've underlined those portions right there is because we don't want to trust in anything else. We know that on paper, but we forget. Sometimes we do trust in the amount of wealth that we have. We do trust in the fact that our house is paid off. We do trust in all of these different things. We put our hope. This is going to hit you between the eyes, I hope. We put our hope in our kids doing okay, right? And when they're not okay, you're not okay because we put our hope in the wrong thing. And guess what? The potential of your kids being okay is 50-50. I don't know where my kids are going to go. Well, you guys better pull it together. But I don't know where my kids are going to be 25 years from now. And how do I define success anyway? I'm glad you asked. I have the answer to that. If I am 110% walking with the Lord all day, every day, am I successful? Okay, yes, I am. Look at the career of Jesus. What was his career? We think it was probably carpentry because his dad was a carpenter. That's all it says. And in those days, they followed in their dad's footsteps. So we think he was a carpenter, but we're not sure. Is he known for his carpentry to this day? I jack this up every time. I don't even know how to say it. What are those chairs called? The Adonai rack, or I'll just call it Iraq. The Iraq chair. All right? 
because I've been there. So I guarantee you when Jesus made a chair, you know it was flipping awesome. He probably made the best chairs in all the world. I tell you, you want a chair that, that rocks, a little rocking chair, go see Jesus. He can make a chair, right? But he's not known for that. He's known for his obedience to the Lord. He's known for his holiness. He's known for going to the cross. He's known for the mission that he carried out, right? If you want to be successful, let's do what God has asked us to do because that's what matters most, right? That's what matters most. Not our career. Don't put your faith and your trust in your career. Some of you are like, no problem. I hate my career. That won't be an issue. I'm not speaking to any particular tax people. All right. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. Wait a second. I thought 1 John 1, 9 said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This right here says, if I obey the truth, then I'm cleansed from my sins. So which is it? Yes is the answer to that. Right? If you look at cleansing, if you look at wholeness, if you look at forgiveness, if you look at all of those things in the scriptures, it is all included in there. Right? There's a verse that says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What if I have no tongue? How am I going to confess him as Lord? I can't, right? What about the thief on the cross? Believe and be baptized, you'll be saved. Wait, he's already on the cross. How's he going to get baptized? Too late, right? Do some sprinkling. Too late. You see how if you take these scriptures in total, you get a better and clearer understanding of what he's saying theologically. You put your hope which we talked about last week. You put your hope and your faith and your trust in me, right? That might include confession. That might include turning from my sins. That might include repenting. That might include obeying. All of those things wrapped up together gives you a better rendition of what it really means to turn to the Lord. You know, we always talk about, well, yeah, the truth will set you free. You know what it says prior to that? It says, do what I tell you to do. Then you will know the truth. Then the truth will set you free. Because knowledge by itself doesn't do squat, right? We know, all we know all kinds of things in here that we don't actually practice, right? I just demonstrated that a couple days ago. The truth did not set me free at that moment, right? My wife might want to set me free, but the truth by itself did not. Show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. <clears throat> I'm thinking that when the Lord wrote that, he did not realize the neighbors that I would have. Me personally. I say that tongue-in-cheek on purpose, right? I'm supposed to love them deeply? Lord, there's only a few people right up here that I can do that with right in here, let alone out there. But he didn't put that qualifier on there. He said, love them deeply. I'm like, Lord, I can't even stand to look at their face, let alone that. Is it just me? I realize that you got the elder up here. I'm just trying to speak it like it is. I'm trying to say the truth, right? Because we feel this, but we're commanded to do this. So we have to start practicing that because these little whack-a-mole things keep popping up over here. I didn't have these neighbors in the past. It was easy to love my neighbors. They were military. I usually would just tell them to. Shut your pie hole. I outrank you. That doesn't work today, I found out. <laughs> so, Charles Sturgeon he came up with this. Spurgeon. Sturgeon. I got Bob on my mind. All right. Charles Spurgeon came up with this quote, and I like it. It says, sincerity makes the very least person to be of more value than the most talented hypocrite. All right? Not sincerity on their part. Sincerity on my part. My part 
is to give them value. Regardless of what they're doing, what they're saying, or this or that, I am to sincerely show that deep love toward that person, regardless of what I think or feel. That doesn't mean that I can't ever call anybody out for anything. If we're doing something blatantly wrong, we should. But I still have to give them value, no matter who they are. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. What he's saying is you have been born again, not because of the flesh and blood, not that seed, but this enduring seed, this ongoing seed, this eternal seed, the word of God, right? That you heard that gospel message. I don't know about you guys. I heard the gospel message 50 times probably in my lifetime. And then that one day I went, oh, he died for me. I'm supposed to respond to that. Now I get that. But at the time, Satan had the blinders on. I didn't see that. I didn't understand that. But that day I did. The light bulb went off. That imperishable seed finally got through my thick head. I'm like, oh, oh. It's like giving your kids a Christmas present. Well, if it stays wrapped under the tree, you don't have the present. You just know about it, right? I knew about salvation. I knew about the Lord. I knew about him dying for me, but I hadn't received it. I didn't open the package. I had no idea. That's the difference. Living and enduring word of God, it's imperishable. And we respond to that, and we're now saved. I love that. For, he says, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. I don't care what little empire and what little dynasty you have created here on earth. That thing is going to pass away, and it's going to die, and it's going to rot. In case you don't know that, again, more encouragement from me to you. <laughs> it's going to rot. It's going to die. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Have you ever, um, I don't know if you've ever looked in the Psalms. There's a Psalm in there that says, our lives are but a mist or a breath. Try this because this will resonate with your soul. Just go, try it once. I'm not moving on until you bro. That's your life. And if you ask anybody, I said last service, maybe over 60. I'll just go 50 because it's going faster than I like. If you're over 50, how did it not take about a half a second to get to 50? And you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm 50. And then the next decade hit even faster. And you're like, whoa. And before you know it, you're 85 years old and you have no idea how you got there. Like, I can't be that person. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Right? You know, it's okay when you're 20. When you're 50, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> right? That's fast. I saw a demonstration one time. I was going to do it. They put a rope up here and stuck like a little tack in it. And go, the rope represents all of eternity. This little tack is your life here on earth. And we put so much weight on that little pin drop. And it means nothing. I mean, it has ramifications for all eternity. But in and of itself, in comparison, is nothing. But we put a lot of time and effort into that thing thinking about our carpentry career and it doesn't matter at all so now i understand somebody called me a pup last year i just turned 51 i'm like if i'm a pup you are just flat out old that's the answer if you call me a pup you're old you wouldn't call me a pup would you no because he's like dude i don't even know how you walk <clears throat> and which is true because my sciatic nerves hurt and i can't hardly walk so I'm not a pup. You're old. That's all there is to it. It went like that. You know why a two-year-old thinks that a year lasts forever? Because it's 50% of their life. 
A 90-year-old, when you take a year out of their life, they're like, that was nothing. That was a drop in the bucket, right? Because it is compared to being 90. So when you do the math that way, it makes total sense. And that was free. That wasn't even in my sermon notes. I'm telling you right now, you guys just got that one. Just remember that life is but a breath. But it says, last slide, the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The whole point that I'm making right here about the word of the Lord standing forever is the forever part using that rope or whatever analogy you want to use there are only a few things that last forever only a few god holy spirit jesus angels good or bad so even the demons uh, our souls and the word of god how many is that six or seven if you break it out that way those things last for all eternity should we not be investing our time in the things that last forever think of the rope it's not that little tack. Someone's going to give a rip about your career 10 minutes after you're dead on the other side of the grave. Not 10 minutes. They're going to go, how did you treat people? Did you live for the Lord? Were you glorifying Him? Were you investing your time in the Word of God? Were you investing your time in God? Were you investing your time in other people? Or was your life focused on the trailer hitch? You see what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but it's, it's easy to get wrapped up and sucked into the black hole, the trailer hitch black hole of life, because there's always a toilet that needs to be scrubbed or something. But we've got hurting people out there that need us more, amen? The Lord wants us to invest our time wisely. That's why Moses wrote in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, because it goes like that. And I've heard that my whole life. Until it happens to you, you're like, oh, boy, this thing is speeding up fast. And it exponentially speeds up. It goes faster as time goes by, I have found. And I'm running out of time. So, here and in all eternity. All right. So, as the band plays this last song, maybe you have never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you have never unwrapped the gift. Now, who has not come forward somehow, some way in front of other people? That's okay. There's no reason to be embarrassed. We're here to support you and love you and pray for you. If you've never given your life to the Lord, come on down. If you have a new mole that popped up in your life and you need to whack that thing, you come down too, right? Just give it to the Lord. You don't need to stand up here in front of the microphone and confess your sin, even though I did. You can come down here and just give that thing to the Lord by yourself. If you want prayer, great. If you want to be by yourself, that's okay too. So as the band plays this worship song, feel free to come do that very thing. And no matter what, be blessed because we are. Amen.